You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to a special series of your program is your ticket. Coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, right in the middle of Broadway. My name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket is a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater in smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels of the production of my husband and my play, At the Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's show is part three of a special series of interviews for the 2018 Frigid Festival here in New York City. Founded in 2007, Frigid is an open and uncensored theater festival that gives artists an opportunity to let their ingenuity thrive in a venue that values freedom of expression and artistic determination. I recently had the honor of sitting down with a superb, passionate artist within the Frigid Festival to speak with them about their individual shows, their wonderful experience with Frigid Festival, and their overall thoughts on theater itself. My guests on this episode are Tessa Flannery from Tentacles, Manny Jordan from Dooley, and Kate Robards from Polly Shamery. These three women have written shows that are a wonderfully insightful and forward-thinking approach to sexuality, and I just know you'll find them as fascinating as I did. Quick note, as you listen, you may hear some minor differences in audio. These interviews were recorded at separate times and locations. Not that that takes any of the enjoyment out of the experience of these fabulous artists, just letting you know in case the sound feels different from one interview to the other. So folks, without further ado, please enjoy interviews with Tessa Flannery from Tentacles, Manning Jordan from Dooley, and Kate Robards from Polly Shamery. Folks, please welcome to the show Tessa Flannery from Tentacles. Hi, Tessa, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Hi, Sean. Hi, it's so great to have you here today, tonight with us. And um, I'm, I have to tell you, Tentacles feels like it could mean so many different things. Uh-huh. It's the worst thing you are imagining. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> it's about tentacle porn, yeah. <laughs> okay, um, I didn't even think of oh, tentacle porn. Oh, you didn't porn. think of tentacle no, porn? No, no, right. I, I get well, a lot I of I don't think of it books. often, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a feminist exploration of tentacle porn. Um, 
Mm-hmm. Do tell. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the the story of Tentacles is uh, there's a grad student. It's a, she's giving a presentation uh, about uh, feminist ravishment fantasies. So being a feminist and having ravishment fantasies, um, and the specific human example she uses is somebody who has fantasies about tentacle porn. Um, But mid-presentation, she's interrupted by her former college friend, who's now a porn star. Uh, And he... Just everything goes awry (laughs) because he interrupts... um, yeah, it's very, but it's a it's a comedy. <laughs> I have like a hundred follow up questions. Oh my gosh. Um, okay, can I can I just ask? Yep. What is tentacle porn? Oh yes. Okay. We do um, have an explicit rating, by the way. I do. I remember okay. reading that. Okay, and being good. Like, Phew. <laughs> right. Um, not a family show. Phew. Um, so tentacle porn. Okay, it's got a, actually a long history, but. Um, if you go to a porn website and you go to the category hentai, uh, it's one of the most popular kinds of hentai. And hentai is sort of like manga and animated Japanese-style animation. Um, but it's pornography. Um, and uh, the tentacles, using tentacles instead of uh, human <laughs> uh, appendages, developed in Japan because there were censorship laws against showing human genitalia. So to get around that, this this movement toward tentacles began in the uh, adult animated film industry there. <laughs> okay, no pun intended, but I can't wrap my mind around, around that. Okay, now how, how does this play into your, your play? Okay, so... Um, so it's the main example because the tentacle porn. Uh, I just dropped a flyer. It's fine. Uh, tentacle porn follows what we would think of as a ravishment narrative. So the lady that is having tentacle times doesn't want them. Uh, so it's like the perfect example of a ravishment fantasy. Um, but then it's problematic, too, because at the end of these animated films, usually the girl is uh, uh, is wants more or she's, like, discovered some kind of sexuality and it's been unlocked by having sex with a tentacle monster. But it started as ravishment uh, or rape, so it's problematic. But it's also, I mean, watching it is a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> so... So there's a character, uh-huh. a, a, a female character, and she is undergoing this. And is she conflicted by it? Does she become conflicted by it? Uh, well, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. The uh, the question being like, if you're a feminist, if you're a pro-sex feminist, it's it's you're like you want to say yes uh any kind of fantasy is cool no problem ravishment fantasies got it on lockdown but uh but then there's the side that's sort of pornography might be uh contributing more to like men's lack of empathy toward women and this whole other problematic narrative of it's not rape if you enjoy it um so there's this like whole guilt and shame thing around having a ravishment fantasy even if you're a pro-sex feminist okay (laughs) 
All right. Oh, all right. So is. Is, is I would assume that there is, and, and I don't say this insultingly because oh. I don't. I mean, uh, oftentimes in in festivals like this, it's a lot of stuff is really presentational. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, I would assume that there is like a, a narrative story to this, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So what's that about? So the presentation itself is about. Uh, this study subject who's into tentacle porn. Uh The narrative comes in in the relationship uh, and interactions between the the presenter, the grad student, Tessa. It's just my name, Tessa. (laughs) And um, her former college sort of crush, uh, Chris. Um, But all of those interactions, along with the presentation itself, keep being interrupted by these fantasies that break in uh, that it's sort of could be Tessa's could be Chris's could be the subject that they're talking about sort of start breaking in and, and breaking down the presentation okay <laughs> now each each time okay uh, tell me if I'm taking you into spoilers here okay don't, don't be afraid I won't to give me. any spoilers okay, away. okay, good, okay. so <laughs> it's each time there is a break in by um, the tentacle monster is, <laughs> is, is it bringing up a different uh, component of feelings or themes or is there a different message that, that you're wanting or does it, is there With a build? Each, there, y- yes. I okay. mean, we, that's what the hope. Okay. <laughs> um, well, that's the intent, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, yeah, with each fantasy, things, each fantasy is sort of uh, a different, a different, uh, fits differently into like a ravishment narrative. Okay. I will say no more. Oh. <laughs> Spoiler, no more spoilers. <laughs> you How look a little tentacle bit monster <laughs> ravishment narratives are there out there? Well, that's no. I I I, I, I just I it's it's is doing a, a show like this. Are you constantly having to? have this conversation with people is it does it require like 20 to 30 minutes of explanation and, most um, of the time <laughs> um so yeah a lot of times it does take time to sort of because a lot of people that i'll mention like oh it's about technical porn uh they've not heard of it so that takes some time to be like this is what it is okay um but i think i think female sexuality is in in everyone's mind at the moment. So when we talk about like feminist ravishment fantasies, people sort of because of what's been happening in the media and the and the Me Too movement and the Times Up movement, people have new ideas about what a feminist ravishment fantasy would be than when we first workshopped this show which was in August and in October. Wow. So you you've done two workshops of the show. Yes, yeah. Okay. And since then, we've just had to develop do more development um, and like look at what what does it mean now to be a feminist and have ravishment fantasies in the light of all of the sexual harassment cases that are coming to like the fore it's a it's a diff, it's a different uh, it's a changing culture I feel like right now so did it I'm just guessing here based upon the conversation we're having did it start <laughs> start off as um, you know, last year when you did your first iteration of the show, did it start off as objectification of of women, and then 
move into levels of empowerment and and why not and what's wrong with that if that's what mm. what a, a woman wants it, it was it I feel like it definitely was a more straightforward like uh, this is this is a thing and it's totally cool but um, but because I as the the writer uh, still I feel like I'm still struggling with the question so um, every time we come back to the script there's I have like new feelings about it and I'm like I, I, uh, this time I feel like this and the ending has changed many times as many times as tentacle porns there are the ending has changed <laughs> well, well the whole um, um, the whole theme is so fluid right now mm. um, and uh, in society I can't imagine I mean you must wake up every day and uh, you know and you check Yahoo or you check your news or whatever and something else has occurred that maybe has has skewed uh, the show a little bit more definitely has that been uh, has that been a blessing, or do you sometimes wish that it could? Uh, even though, <laughs> even though yeah. I'm, I'm so glad that all of these stories are coming out, absolutely, and we're and we're handling this. But as a writer, <laughs> is, that, is that just like oh my god, freeze for a while? A, a, a little part of me is is wishing that we could freeze the show at at a point where. We, we're not having to comment on what's happening right now, but of course, what's what's happening right now is the most important thing, probably to happen for women in forty or fifty years, really. And that's um, how the big part of you feels. Yes, yeah, okay, exactly. Cool. The little tiny writer part of me is like, well, oh, guys, can't we just do the same show? I know, right? <laughs> Yeah. I already wrote it. <laughs> I, I, I know. I was. Uh, we were talking earlier before. I was telling you that I'm doing my my musical, We the People, about yeah. the election, and it's like, oh my god! Every day oh, I wake yes, up, and it's just one more thing. And and you know, my my co-writer's like, so do we need to add a new number to this? And I'm thinking, we might as well just wait a day or two and you know, <laughs> see what new thing gets said. Exactly. He's, he's at Disneyland, so why don't you wait until you come back from Disneyland? <laughs> I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it, 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 how did you come up with this idea? I mean, what was, like, the kernel there? Um, the, the kernel. Uh, I, mm, yes, the kernel of the idea was <laughs> that I... Uh, was looking at porn sites uh, and and came across tentacle porn um, and was taken a little bit aback by it. But it's just so weird that I I like can't when it when I see a tentacle porn, uh, which is sometimes because of the show. Uh, <laughs> Research, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so strange to me and and not I think there is like a cultural difference of course because it's uh it's made mostly in Japan um and 
and we have very different uh, sort of a, like sexual cultures in Japan and in the West. But it's just it's so I you it's <laughs> it sounds like it would be really provoking. It is. It is. It, it like uh, it's very graphic and very. Uh, like emotional in a way but at the same time it's it's watching animation so nothing's real um but it's it's still very yeah it's very evocative very like it grabs you oh (laughs) no i didn't mean to do that (laughs) (laughs) but i'm bummed i love it okay (laughs) well how are rehearsals going Good, good. We open one week from the recording date now. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, and we have yeah we have tech to look forward to. We have we're really really lucky because we have um, a fight and intimacy choreographer on board uh, named Claire Warden, and she's incredible. And so we've had her for the past few rehearsals, coming and looking at any moments that are. Uh, uh, have intimacy or any moments of fight in the show. One of my other shows that I interviewed uh, earlier oh, tonight. Oh yes, yeah, they have Claire too. I never heard. I mean, I've heard of a of a fight choreographer. I had never heard of an intimacy choreographer. Yeah, and I thought that is so smart. Yes, because it's the intimacy choreographer who's making the calls of what you're doing to each other. Right, rather than like you guys having to improvise. Yeah. or, or the director being like, oh, k- k- kiss. Yeah, like like where's the line? Right, and, right. And you know, and, and so difficult. I, I was telling them like in, in Chicago, it is a hot button issue right mm. now of theater companies that that have people who who haven't established those clear boundaries. I actually have a friend who was working in Chicago uh, as an actress, and she when she left, she quit acting because of an experience that was you know there were no clear lines, and so she she had a terrible experience and so I think intimacy choreography is such an important new not it's not even new really I, I think it's been around for a, she's uh, Claire said it's about 15 years but um I think it's being more defined it's more now exactly, exactly because it's really all, coming to the fore and that's yeah, yeah, great yeah. all that's coming into the theaters like guys or <laughs> yeah. in, in in the fore yeah because again it has been around um I I myself am not an actor and I uh, would be very very skittish to be in those situations, and so to have another person say, "This is what you're supposed to do." Right. Okay, it's it's them telling me what to do. I'm not doing this to you, and 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 especially when you're dealing with the subject of of porn overall, mm-hmm. um, in and and sex, it's it's probably a huge relief. It is, it is. Having somebody there who's there to make sure everyone's healthy and that no that we can we all have a very safe environment to to give consent uh-huh. or to not give consent to whatever we're comfortable with. Um, has been it's it's a load off of everybody's shoulders because having an intimacy choreographer there for everybody on the crew and every all the performers and the director can direct, the writer can write and perform when she has to. Um, but everybody can just do their job because she's there doing her job. Wow, that's 
I love that. Again, first heard of it tonight, and and I'm glad it's there. Yeah. I learned I learned so much talking to people on the show, and that was that was incredible. Um, tell us about your experience with Frigid Fest so far. Oh, it's been awesome. Has it? Cool. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we did our uh, horse trade runs and open mic here at Under St. Mark's, where we are, but nobody can see that. Um, <laughs> Uh, at Under St. Mark's on, and we just performed a little five-minute preview. And the frigid, like the horse trade crowd and the frigid crowd, everyone's been so supportive. Um, and the, it's just a great. They like sent us the media list to like reach out to these people. I mean, it's probably the most support of any festival I've been part of. I've done a few uh, collaborating with the same with my director Rebecca Cunningham. We've done a few festivals, and this has been. I think probably our, our best experience. Good. He's very professional. Excellent. That's that's um, uh, so far been the common answer, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and people genuinely saying how supportive they've been, um, and 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 not just the the team, but when they meet other people in other shows. Yes. Yeah. And I, that's we, cool. That is very. I feel like unusual uh, to find all different shows, all different themes. Uh, totally different crew of people all coming together and just being like, what's your show? I'm interested in it. Oh, yeah. And I'll come and support you. And yeah, it's great. Yeah, at times, um, although I haven't I haven't seen it often because I, I have another play that's been in, in a lot of festivals. Mm. Uh, at times, it could be a little competitive. Yeah. And um, this uh, doesn't feel this doesn't feel like that. This is yeah. like we're all working together to just make art. <laughs> right, right. There's there's a camaraderie there, camaraderie there, and then um, uh, everyone supporting each other, and and that's that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it helps that you're in um, uh, two theaters that are close together in proximity. Yes. As yeah. well, there are just as, as far, I'm horrible with directions, but I think <laughs> <laughs> I took an Uber here. No, actually, actually, I've done a show in this theater, but Crane was with my first time yesterday. Oh. Um, but it feels like they're just a couple blocks away. Am I right? Yeah. They are, yeah. Okay, cool. Crane, Crane is uh, between 2nd and 3rd on 4th Street, and under St. Mark's is up here on on, on St. Mark's, which is like 8th Street, secretly 8th Street. It's like you just <laughs> dropped into a whole other language oh. there. So I'm sorry. I've only been here for three years, and I still don't know oh. where I am. Oh, I thought you were a lifelong New Yorker. Oh, you no, were running no, no, no. things in here. No, 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 no. no. I, just, I, I just fake it really, really well. <laughs> Um, what should audiences, audiences, or what do you want audiences to leave feeling and thinking about after they see Tentacles? Mm, um, I, I hope that people leave thinking about the nature of consent um, uh, and thinking about the diff, it's, it's a, it's a difficulty that we're all sort of encountering now. Uh, well, not all of us. <laughs> I hope that there are people who are like, yes, absolutely, affirmative consent all the time. Um, but it's really, it's really the conversation we're having, I think, as a society. Mm-hmm. Um, and this tentacles, in a way, is is our our bit of that conversation that we're putting forward. Um, but it's so tricky because it's such a nuanced thing, and it it seems it should be so simple. And I think we're moving toward it being much more simple. That it's that everybody's excited, <laughs> and that's what consent is. Everybody being like, "Yeah, this is gonna be great." Um, 
but it, it I think it's not that for a lot of people and so uh, yeah so I hope audiences leave thinking about consent and thinking about what that we're that we all can be feminists uh, and it's okay and that whatever fantasies you may have uh, can be you should be okay with <laughs> I, it's hard for me to even say that because me I still struggle I wrote a show about trying to come to terms with your fantasies and I still struggle with it so uh, that's probably why I had to write the show <laughs> uh, it's unfortunately uh, sexuality and fantasies and, uh, and porn and, and anything that comes along with that is, is you know as long as it's consensual and it's it's legal um, <laughs> is is okay but we still have a lot of issues with it right there's a lot of taboos yeah there's and a lot of shame yes yes shame is a big right thing <laughs> and, 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 and uh, I think that will uh, humanity will always be on a bit of a sliding scale with that totally but it's, a, it's human nature really I guess sure it? absolutely um, modesty things like that yeah. um, but uh, if we can get a little bit closer to lightening up on that yeah you know, people you know be what they want to be again as long as it's you know legal, legal and, nobody, and nobody's, nobody's getting, getting hurt, hurt and, yeah. and, and it's consensual um then i think we could we could use a little bit of that especially in this day <laughs> uh, before we go can you please give the audience your social media information about the show oh yes great uh you can go to facebook.com forward slash tentacles the play um you can also go to voyage theater company.com uh Oh, I beg your pardon. It's voyagetheatercompany.org. That's okay. I beg your That's pardon. That's fine. Um, but we're, we're uh, Voyage Theater Company is our producer. Okay. Um, along with Frigid. Um, and you can find out more about the show there. Uh, you can also just go straight to tickets at tinyurl.com forward slash tentacles tickets. You were the second person who's come in here tonight that had that address memorized. Oh, really? Yes, That's it? yes, yes. I, I, I realize I could have looked at this flyer that I'm holding in my hand. We had, we had two guys in here doing uh, uh, for another show, and the one guy was like super proud that he was like, I memorized that address. And I was like, awesome, great job, excellent marketing. So, so prop, props on the marketing uh, there. Well, you've been absolutely delightful. As have you. I'm so glad that we got to do this and that I got to meet you. Oh, likewise. Thank you very much. Um, it just, just break legs. Oh, thank you. And you, and you too in Chicago. For oh, thank you very weekend. much. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and just, just have a good time and enjoy Thanks. it and, and stay present and yeah, that's tricky. And, right. Exactly. <laughs> and realize that this is a really nice charmed time for you. And, yeah. and, um, you're doing a show in New York. Yeah. Out of my way. Right. Hell yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, again, thank you, Tessa Flannery from Tentacles. Thank you. Folks, please welcome to the show Manning Jordan from the show Dooley. Hi, Manning, and welcome to your program as your ticket. Hello, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Um, tell our audiences about Dooley. Okay, well, the genesis of Dooley, I would say, uh, comes from the festival releases their uh, applications in October or maybe even a little before and you find out on Halloween if your play is accepted but they have an online form and they don't ask for the full play they just ask for the name and I had been working on a play about a country western singer called Dooley Jean Ray 
which is like based off of Loretta Lynn. And do you know who Loretta Lynn is? Oh, most definitely. Perfect. So I was going in that direction, and then I went to my friend's house, and they had this board game called Group Therapy, which was a board game that came out in like 1968, 1969, and it asks very kind of uh, pointed and sometimes jarring questions. They, It's like a... You would draw a card, and it would say something like, hold the person in the room like they needed to be held as a child. And you're like, people would play this in the 60s, like a group of friends. It's like a little bit, it's kind of a, it's a tough game, I would say, based off of these cards. They're like, you know, tell us your biggest flaw. It could be something like that, or it could be like, you know, what's your deepest desire? Like, which parent would you rather watch masturbate? Like, it can get kind of intense. So I saw this game at my friend's house, and I was like, let's play. And everyone was like, no way, this is like so heavy. We wow. want to play. And I was like, this is so cool, i got to write a play about it. So I had already submitted the play, and once you submit the title, you can't change it unless you want to pay a fee. And I was like, very cheap, and I thought, well, you know, instead of being cheap, I thought, you know, I can be creative. How do I work this title I have as Dooley into what I want to write about, this board game? So I just changed the board game to be called Dooley. But, okay, it's about the 1960s, a group of four friends playing the board game. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) So, now, I'm not sure if you answered this, but did you actually go through with playing the game when you recommended it? No, my friends would not play. They refused. They refused. I took some cards, flipped through them, like kind of just built it up in my head, uh, assumed how we would play and what would play out. Wow. Yeah. And um, (laughs) I just can't imagine. It it feels like there there would be major boundary issues with playing that game. Yeah. Yeah. Like I would not want to answer which one of my parents would I rather see masturbate. That would not be comfortable (laughs) for me or or hold somebody like a child in in the room. Right. Uh, Now, are you setting the game in in the context of the 60s or now, present time? It is 1969 in the play, Uh right on the cusp of, you know, mod girl and hippie, you know, kids like Woodstock. And uh, that was kind of like right when the board game came out. So I decided I would uh, kind of use my group of friends and like the idea of us playing it, but in the context of the 60s. So that involved, like, research about the era, and I love the 60s, and, like, Bob and Carol, Ted Nallis is my favorite movie, and that's in 1969, and I was like, I know, like, from, you know, media, movies, TV, whatever, like, about the era, and that was kind of fun to sort of dive in and learn about, uh, you know, sort of the language and different kind of uh, ways they would have spoken then, just different words, and implementing that into the game in that sense. Wow. Uh, If the 60s are your favorite decade, what's your least favorite decade? Uh, Maybe the 1860s. I don't know. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Why would the 1860s be your least favorite decade? I feel like I probably couldn't do uh, nearly as much as I, as a woman, want to do. Really? Now, having said that, did you have to... As a woman today, uh, even and women are are still so sadly in, infringed. Did you have to go back 
to your 1969 setting and sort of recalibrate uh, morals and, and, and society norms and things like that? And if so, was that difficult to do? You know, I found so many parallels of today and the 60s. Um, when you think about like Nixon and all of you know Vietnam, and then you compare it to today, it's like there are a lot of overlaps, a lot of parallels. So I just made a decision to have a progressive group of friends mm-hmm. that uh, you know were more of like the hippie side of the end of the '60s, so that I didn't have specific confines of uh, you know like that perhaps like female identity of uh, that was reflected in television specifically at that era. I was right. like, I don't really think that... I don't know that kids in the... Or, you know, young adults in the 60s were really like the Brady Bunch. Like, that I don't think was how things went. Do you know I don't I mean? think so either, no. Right. So it was like, you know, people are people no matter what the decade is. And we all kind of are the same. But you're just, like, in different situations. But I just... The amount of stuff that felt the same then and now what they were dealing with regardless of you know sure civil rights issues they're most of them are still the same today i mean sure we've come a long way in certain aspects but i didn't really have to uh change too much about how i would see you know young adults today i i made that conscious decision to only change like language uh like certain words and things like they wouldn't have said you know well, I don't know, certain words like I, I added like groovy or something that I thought maybe would have sounded more correct for the era. Authentic to the yeah. time. That's, that's really interesting to know going into seeing the show mm-hmm. is that you really didn't make a lot of adjustments mm-hmm. as, as far as how they were talking. Right. And um, it's, 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 that's, that to me is really fascinating. Did it take you... A long time to get to that to that decision. Did you do a lot of research and say the the, the differences as people in, in in the real world weren't that they weren't divergent of each other, and, and then say, okay, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to write it this way. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write it uh, as people without attention to what was going on to society. Did it take you a long time to come to that decision, or was it just like, that's the way I'm doing it? It was pretty quick, because right when I saw the board game and I read on the back that it was 69, I knew that Bob and Carol and Ted Nowes was made then. So I rewatched that movie, and I noticed that the way they acted, the way the women and the men acted together, it was really like, oh, no, I don't don't need to change anything for the time period. Mm -hmm. It was just... Maybe they drank more. I don't know. Like, there's just, like, very little... uh, Not much of it really changed, in a way. Based off of that movie and a couple of other things I had read. And all I really had to do in terms of uh, changing the script from, uh, let's say, if it was written today, was add, you know, little tidbits about, like, the Vietnam War. Or just, like, historical... uh, References. References. But, no, it was pretty quick for me to decide, no, I, I, I don't need to change... Anything like that. I love that. And I love that that uh, audiences who are at least listening to this show are going to go into the play knowing that. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's, that's, that's a cool piece of, I don't want to say trivia, but I don't know what other word. That piece works. of information. Trivia works, yeah. right? Exactly. Uh, by the way, I'm going to ask you about the characters in the play, but first I have to say, I love Loretta Lynn. 
and Coal Miner's Daughter is one of my oh, favorite good. movies, and I think the best performance ever put on film by an actress ever with Sissy Spacek. She's so good. In oh my, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it just? Oh, I, I'm I'm just blown away. I can't. That's one of those movies like it comes on, I can't not watch it. Absolutely. Because she, she is just so rivetingly perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did her own singing, and I love her. I want her to win another Academy Award. <laughs> okay, back on topic. Tell me about the characters that you created uh, for Dooley. Uh, so there are four main characters, and there's a fifth character who uh, delivers the pizza, and I'm playing the pizza delivery woman, which is a- another testament of how I didn't really want to change too much of the era. I doubt there was a female pizza delivery person then, but I kind of wanted to... That was one thing that I was like, you know, whatever, I can take creative license. And do what I want here. Um, it's your the characters, exactly. The characters are um, about twenty six to thirty years old. Uh, it's a couple, um, and then two friends, a boy and a girl, and uh, all of their relationships are really tested by this board game. You see, I bet, yeah, and it's not limited to you know just within the people in the relationship and friendships it's it kind of everybody's boundaries are very blurred and uh all of the characters are creative they're like either in like the arts or something like that and they're you know as i said progressive so it's like just a group of young fun kids playing this game uh but things really go awry once certain questions are asked and certain answers are given wow do you think that a game like Dooley? Or what you based it off of would work today? Or would uh, sell today? Wow. Um, I would say Cards Against Humanity would be the closest game. Have you played that before? Oh, yeah. Most sure. definitely. So I think that's like the closest to this. But even... I feel like therapy and psychology is kind of hip now. And it seems like it would last. It still would like hold residence today. I think the only issue is just you know getting people... Getting your friends on board in a way that's like, uh, this is a safe space. It's a board game. Getting people on board with that. But I think once they're playing it, they'd be into it. Hmm. I guess. Wow. Um, that's, that's great. I'm, I love that you've evaluated all of this. This is, this is amazing. How are rehearsals going? They are so fun. Um, We've been playing with Cards of Humanity just to kind of get everybody in the mood of like reading a card and asking a question, and that's been fun. Um, next week, we are shooting at Manhattan Neighborhood Networks. It's a public access uh, channel. So oh. if you ever go to like channel one, two, three, four, uh, I have a show on there. And so we you have, do. I do. It's called Hey Nothing, and it airs sporadically, unfortunately. But. Um, I was able to get studio space so we could film the play, which has been uh, a, something I've wanted to do. It's like I feel like stage plays never translate, but since we have this studio space that you can shoot it all in one take and it's sort of more like a black box, um, I found that to be a good opportunity. So I'm super excited. We're all excited to do that. That's great. It'll be fun. Yeah. That is so smart. Yeah. Um, I'm. I, I always, well, I firmly believe whenever, because I'm a writer myself, whenever I do uh, uh, a show, it it should be filmed. And I get a lot of flack for that. Really? A lot of people are, I get a lot of pushback. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, you're, 
you're uh, um, you're in you're, you're infringing on art on the art of the theater and to me I feel like it's important because it's it's good to use for for marketing mm-hmm. and to get it out there to other theaters who may want to do it absolutely um, so that's that's very smart and I think that's the, the future of theater mm-hmm. myself um, I'm an old guy so I, I try to I'm, I'm a bit with tradition but mm-hmm. I honestly feel that that's always what needs to be done mm-hmm. with the show and it, it's it's just so helpful and honestly I hate to say this a lot of theater companies they don't want to read Sure. They want to watch. Yeah. So, anyways. Okay. Well, that's just me on my old man soapbox. So, <laughs> just one more. You kids got to get off my lawn, and then and then I'm down. <laughs> um, tell us about your experience with uh, Frigid Fest. How's it going with that so far? It's great. I did it last year. I did a play called Mister Long, which was about uh, my high school experience at an all girls prep school in Texas, and I had so much fun. I loved this little tiny theater. Um, I live pretty close by, and I understand, like, the confines of the stage. I understand, like, the theater. I know how the festival works. So this year has been so fun to just kind of already know what I'm about to do is cool. Um, There's always the challenge of, you know, when you get placed a a slot of a 5 o'clock, you know, show or a 10.30 p.m. show and trying to figure out how to get people to go to that. And it's... a little bit stressful, but it's also like pretty fun to figure out how to market that and how to build an audience, which I, I like the producing challenge of this as well. So I think it's such a fun festival. I love it. Wow. Tell me a little bit more about Mr. Long. Yes. Tell me about that. Okay. So it's about six girls in a homeroom. Uh, their teacher is Mr. Long. And one of the girls gets her photos leaked from her computer some nude photos leaked by one of the IT guys in the school. It's based loosely based off of something that happened in my high school. Wow. And then um, it's right at the cusp of graduation. And it's really about, it's an ensemble piece just about the relationships between young women and how, you know, tricky it can be with an older male teacher, how it can either be, you know, creepy, it can be great. It's just... uh, the lines, I think, of... I think I like to push boundaries, you know, in my plays with an ensemble cast in that sense, sort of like my play now, where there was a lot of push and pull with the girls and the the male teacher. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it took place in Texas, so there was um, a little bit of my, my growing up was in it, and it was super fun. And my... High school newspaper wrote an article about it, which was really the coolest thing. I felt so cool, and I was so excited that, you know, it people in Texas heard about it. It was cool. That's that's great. Now, I I'm liking so much your just the two uh, plays that I've heard about in your catalog of work. Uh, what's coming up next for you? Tell me about your next play that you're working because I know you're working on something else you have to be right well in between the two of those I wrote a play about Patricia Highsmith and we did it at the crane but we did uh, a stage reading at Dixon Place and we did a one night show here and I have been trying to work on that and Mr. Long and make them into feature films which you know just working on the screenplay has been kind of a challenge Um, and then I'm working on those 
And then on public access, I do a couple of characters that I work on, like a character show, and I do like kind of interviews. Um, it's like a variety comedy show. So I've been working on those things. I'm sort of, once, once I have a production on stage going, I'm like, oh, what else can I do? What's the next medium? I like to flip-flop between uh, film and TV and then the stage. And then theater. Yeah. <clears throat> Who is Patricia Highsmith? I'm not familiar with her. I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, did you ever see Carol, the movie? Yes. No, I didn't see Carol, but I'm familiar with it. You know it. it? Okay. The one with Kate Blanchett. Exactly. And um, yes. uh, Rooney Mara. Right. Right. Uh, did you see Strangers on a Train, the Alfred Hitchcock movie? Uh, I, I've seen or the original. Okay, perfect. And I'm actually reading the book right now, so. Really? Perfect timing, yes. She wrote yes. it. She did? Yeah. Um, okay. This so is you gonna, must know who she is. Well, this is going to sound horrible, but it's on my Kindle. Uh-huh. And I rarely, I, this, this is terrible, but I rarely know who's <laughs> writing the books on my Kindle. <laughs> well, good. Now you oh know. Oh, my gosh. Now I know. She's okay. fascinating. I'm, okay, I'm totally embarrassed, but oh well. That's okay. And, and so you're writing a piece about her, and what's, is it autobiographical? Uh, not autobiographical, sorry. Is it a biography? Is it, um, is it her placed in a, a unique, different situation, a fictitious situation? What's that about? Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So uh, she had this period in her life when she was in her early 20s where she underwent therapy. There are so many common themes in my plays, obviously. Group therapy, therapy, whatever. Keep going. Um, I love it. (laughs) uh, She uh, was a queer woman in the 50s in New York, and she was writing, and she was really kind of an evil woman. And all of her, everything she wrote was like had little bits of, like her own life in it. So Carol is actually a book called The Price of Salt, which is um, was the first uh, lesbian novel to have a happy ending. And I had read the book, and I saw Carol, and I was like, who wrote this? This is fascinating. And then I read all these biographies about Patricia Highsmith. She had written, you know, Alfred Hitchcock movies, all these things. She had written all these books, um, mostly true crime. And so I was really fascinated about the period in her life when she was around my age, and it was before she had become Patricia Highsmith as we know her, in a sense that, like, before her books were published. And so there was a period in her life where she underwent therapy to kind of uh, reverse any sort of queer feelings she had. And so I explored that with, I did, like, sessions in therapy, and... um, all of it leading up to her writing *The Price of Salt*, the book that became *Carol* the movie. Okay, so I feel so out of the loop here. Okay, so the lady who wrote *Carol*, *The yes. Price of Salt*, yes. is the same lady who wrote *Strangers on a Train*. Yes, and the talented Mr. Ripley. She wrote a lot of great. Yeah. Just when I think I read so much. Well, you are reading her, so that's I am, great. I know, I know. <laughs> thank, thank you for throwing me that bone. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Uh, you are... 
You're fascinating to me. Thank you. You really are. I would love to have you come back on and do a full show with me, if, if you'd be interested in Absolutely. doing it. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Uh, now, before we go, can you please give our audience the social media information yes. for Dooley so they can go and find out more about the show and get tickets and stuff? Yes. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, Instagram, it's Manning, M-A-N-N-I-N-G-A, Jordan. And it's Twitter and Instagram, and I post about it all over, and you can find it there. And Facebook, if you uh, just type in Dooley in events, it should come up. Wow. Great. Well, I wish you uh, major broken legs, broken arms, <laughs> uh, and I just know that the show is going to be terrific. I'm going to do my absolute very best to come see it because I'm really fascinated by it. Thank you. So thank you for being with us. Manning Jordan uh, from the show Dooley, and everyone go see it. Thank you. My pleasure. Folks, please welcome to the show Kate Robards from Polly Shamery. Hi, Kate, and welcome to your program is your ticket. Hi, hello. Hi, it's nice to have you on the show. It's so nice to be on the show. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's very flattering. I can accept flattery all day. I'm 50 You're beautiful. Years. I love your oh. glasses. I love your zipper sweater thing. Oh, and thank you've got you. the, the mints and the card and the just. At 52 years old, I accept all compliments. So keep them coming if you like. But enough about me. Kate, you wrote a show called Polly Shamery that's in Frigid Fest. Tell us about it. I did write a show called Polly Shamery. Um, so I, uh, <laughs> what? How? Where do I begin? I um, was in a polyamorous marriage. And I say was past tense. And I do stand up and I've done two other solo shows. And in my stand up and in talking about um, my relationship, I married this really rich guy and I grew up from a, a, like a single mom, you know, small town in Texas. And I would talk about my childhood and stand up and I would, you know, talk about my rich husband. And then I would kind of say, well, you know, but that didn't work out. Do you want to hear about that? And everyone's like, yeah, tell us about it. I'm like, do you want to hear the childhood or do you want to hear about my polyamorous relationship? And they were like, polyamorous relationship. Because they love, people love hearing about like an open relationship or a non-monogamous relationship. But I've found they like even more when it doesn't work out. Really? So, yeah. They love it. It's salacious. It's juicy. Wow. People are assholes is what I'm trying to say. Well, and... So, did you start writing the play, I would assume because of the, the word sham inserted into the title? Spoiler alert. Right. It's Minor title, spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, no. You started writing the, the play after you were out of the marriage. Correct. How long has it been since you've been out of the marriage and you've written this play? Um, so fun, fun, full, full disclosure. Um, last year, a few years ago, I, d I did this show called Ain't That Rich about marrying this rich guy. Mm -hmm. And I did it last year, um, at Frigid. And as I was doing this show about this wonderful guy, um, who I married, uh, total polar opposite of how I grew up. It was crumbling around me, oh, wow. and even some of the reviews were like, "What a great guy!" And he is a great guy. I love him a lot. It just didn't work out. But um, I was just like, "Oh, I have to like do the Meryl Streep and Carrie Fisher, you know, take your broken heart and make it art thing, and uh, push through it." And I kept getting the opportunity to perform. Ain't that rich? And I performed it um, in San Francisco at, at a non fringe, at my first contracted seven week run at a nice. theater in San Francisco. Great. And. Um, and, you know, it's like that thing about when you write autobiographical stuff, or I, I say mostly autobiographical stuff, it um, you end up, like, talking about this part of your life that's past. 
And uh, so I really wanted to talk about another chapter, another another story. And um, so it's been it was it was last year that everything kind of went haywire. Wow. What are the the common questions that you get asked when you bring up the fact that you were in a polyamorous marriage? Um, well, like one of my favorite responses is um, a friend from grad school in San Francisco was like, "Oh my god, that's so great! You know, me and my boyfriend are so boring. We're only poly at Burning Man." Um, so okay, um, but like I guess some of them are the most common is for those of you who can't see me, I'm a very um, what I have been called heteronormative looking uh, Caucasian white blonde woman. And the the most common response is like, you? Really? Mm. <laughs> because I just fit into this little like cookie cutter cookie cutter box. So um yeah, that's one of the most common. Wow. And is did this spring from being part of the Mormon religion? <laughs> I get that a lot too. Really? So I get um, I get polygamy a lot, and my, my ex is Jewish, and one of my friends is like, "Oh, I didn't even know um, Jewish men could be Mormon," and I'm like, "Oh no 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 no! Uh, polyamory is different from polygamy. Polygamy right. is Mormon, and that's well, I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert on that, but like they have multiple wives, and polyamory is this." Um, thought process that more love is more love and love isn't like an economy like money you know there's not a finite amount that you have that when you give it away you have less you know uh, more love is more love and I kind of ascribe to that despite the fact that my relationship didn't work I don't know if monogamy is a realistic um, thing so it was it is very fascinating this idea of monogamy is very fascinating to me um, but yeah I think a lot of people don't know what polyamory is mm-hmm. so I definitely um, even me personally I had a, a polyamory sex therapist, um, yeah, as one does. Wow. <laughs> so I have to kind of explain, as I did, like a part of this world in my show for for those people who might be interested. Wow! So you you do cover off on that misconception during the show, yeah, yeah, yeah. and which. Uh, my apologies if I made that <laughs> assumption. No, it's common. That's a really common thing. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know it's so prevalent on TV. Um, uh, polygamy, and uh, we see it so big much. Love. Yeah, big, yeah, big love. Well, I love big love. I love big, big love. love. It's a great show. I it love. It is that. great. I would be the one with the credit card spending problem. That that character, you know, uh, the one that just shopping all the time. The Chloe Sevigny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Loved yeah. her. She was my favorite. Nikki. Yeah. Nikki. Yeah. 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 Chloe. Uh, Sevigny. I never know how Sevigny. to say. Oh yeah. I, I guess don't I know. I just like try to sound French. Like, <laughs> I know. It's like it's like, it's like Kim Basinger. Kim Basinger. I, I never know how to say her name either. But anyways, yeah, she's she's terrific. I, I love her and everything. Um, so, what's the percentage, if I may ask, of your show that is truly autobiographical versus anything else that you had to put in to sort of fill in the blanks here and there. Yeah, I don't know because I, I train, I have an MFA in playwriting, so I'm a classic playwright and I kind of started, this is my third solo show and I started doing these shows as like, uh, my 
MFA was actually a multi-genre, so we studied fiction and playwriting, and um, I like to think of it, and uh, in, in creative nonfiction, which is kind of like memoir, but I like to think of it as like, um, I am an artist first and foremost, and even though it is a lot heavily influenced by my life, it's a character whose name happens to be Kate, uh-huh. and I have slightly changed the names of the real characters around me, and um, the main events are all real, Right. and I take... Um, I'm a big believer in uh, narrative plot, you know, like having a, a climax and like, you know, inciting incident. I've, I'm a, I'm a trained playwright. So sure. um, making those fit into a greater story is really, really important to me. Um, and then like, I mean, I, I give myself poetic license if you will, but I don't really, um, I mean, I don't, in this particular show, I don't really have composite characters. So they're all based on, um, all of the characters are based on actual people in my life. And, um, yeah, I just say mostly autobiographical because I think, um, it's an easy, like, I'm not trying to James Fry or Mike Daisy, you know, (laughs) I don't want that scandal, but I also believe that, um, the best fiction is real, you know, and if you, if you've studied fiction and, um, if you, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I identify with the South, even though this play really doesn't. I mean, I guess it's always kind of pulsing through the veins, but um, yeah, you you have to. I, I am a believer of you have to um, write what you know, and um, even though, like, I have this conversation with my friend of coming out. You know, like it's like gay people are no longer like it. it that's not a. Um, they're not on the fringe or the cusp of social norms, but like a polyamorous person, you have to, you know, one of the things my, my sex therapist said was, you cannot live in shame if you live in shame, you know, so really come out to people and tell them about your lifestyle. And I have a conversation where it's like, you know, I'm sex positive. Oh my God, you have an STD. And, um, you know, I'm polyamorous. Oh my God, you're polygamy. Like what? And, um, this like, just like fighting these misconceptions and those, that would be kind of like an amalgamation of a ton of experiences I had put into one character for the purpose of a greater story. Yeah. Um, so those are the kind of like playwriting elements that I really put in it. And I always say, even though it is a solo show, it's just because I don't have the money to hire a cast of eight, you know? Wow. <laughs> so it's like, I'm a one man band, but I write, I try to write and really, um, I try to embody, um, I, I take acting classes at Barrow. I train at Barrow Acting Group. I try to embody the characters so that hopefully in the minds of other people, it is both a narrative story that I'm telling you and you can also see these other people come to life if I do a good job. Which I'm sure you will. I'm sure I will. you'll do a terrific job. <laughs> now, now, you said there are eight other characters. So is that you playing you or a version of you and then eight other people at this? So you're being nine people on the stage? Am sure. I doing the math right? I that's why I'm a writer. <laughs> Don't ask me. Ma- I didn't, I'm a writer too. I didn't so no, there oh would be math. Right. Um, and it's funny. So this is. Um, I like to think of fringes as hopefully I'm always going to go to a non-fringe. But fringes audiences are my favorite. I've seen some of the best work at fringe. Oh sure. And so I've really used. I'm already in. Um, I'm in uh, uh, frigid, which is great. I'm going to do Capital Fringe in DC. My third one there. Awesome. My second time at frigid. I'm doing Atlanta. And um, so I have other festivals in the in the um, in the pipeline for this. And I really use every um, night performing as an experiment to see, oh, did that work? Did that, did that, you know, tinkering with it and using it as a workshop because you can't really gauge 
it's not a novel. You can't gauge it until you see the reaction of people. Sure. And it's one of the experiences I've found is, you know, I am comedic, but I'm very dark. And I found that like, I think of myself as this dramatist, you know, this like, I love drama. I love <laughs> the serious things. And I'll write this moment that I think is really, really serious. And I'm acting it really serious and people laugh and I'm like, Oh, Ha! That it cracks it open for me. Sure. And it makes me, you know, tend to lean into another direction. So, one thing I can say is, in my five performances, who knows what you'll see? I mean, it's the same. I have those same, you know, I have a very clear structure, but I'm going to be playing with, uh, does this really need to be two characters? Does this need to, and retweaking and rewriting as I go. And luckily, I'm the playwright and the actor, so we're all cool. Everyone on my, on my team, on my creative team is okay with this. Wow. <laughs> um, I, I, I agree with you on that completely. I think it's so important that we have uh, fringe festivals and festivals like Frigid and because it, as writers I always tell people when I'm writing I'm usually sitting in bed in my pajamas with my <laughs> laptop and the world is being created in my mind so I'll write something that I think is hilarious and then you get it in front of an audience and it's crickets right and you're like okay alrighty I thought it was funny but I'm the writer right so it's really important to to I think for people to support um, uh, systems like fringe festivals, and because it, it just helps in the development of shows. So I, I, I think that's tremendous. How are rehearsals going with you and your technical team? Uh, so I was really, um, I was in full panic mode because the dropout date for this festival was in December and I'm like, can I really do this? Can I really do it? And I'd been writing towards it. You know, you always write and I had so much stuff. I mean, I have hours of material. I would love if people would sit through, but you know, come on, nobody wants to sit through hours of a solo show. Um, and I was connected to another playwright friend and she said, you've got to talk to Maureen Montalbano and she's done, um, she's been reviewed in the Washington post by, um, you know, wonderful people. And I kind of was going at it on my own, taking some classes at Barrow. You know, this ain't my first rodeo. And you really, in a solo show, you need another outside eyes. And um, I've just been working. I finally got a script that I'm really happy with. I open in like 12 days, and I finally got a script that I'm really happy with. And of course, it's my it's my work, so I'm I'm more familiar with it than another actor. But um, you know, that process has been like now that I have a script that I can start with, I'm going to take off that hat and try not to criticize it and just act as, you know, act the hell out of it, act it, give it my all in losing myself in those characters. And then once that first show closes the, you know, the first night I can say, okay, I'll take off the actor hat. And now let's look at it from a playwriting standpoint. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of marry those two together. And I guess, you know, I guess it's weird to think of it as a hat and another, don't listen. I, I, I read, take back everything I said. <laughs> oh, no, it's great. It's a, it's a great But it answer. is. I mean, it's just kind of like feeling your way through it. Right. And, um, yeah, and I can't wait. It, I've also never, when I lived in San Francisco, I've only been in New York for a little more than a year, and I lived in San Francisco, and it, there's a great solo theater um, community, and I was able to workshop a lot of my um, shows with this great place called Solo Sundays, mm. and they have a theater space in the mission. It's a regular show, so I would put up 20 minutes at a time, and you know, you kind of tinker and edit as you go, wow. and this is really the first time I've ever done a show where it's just like... I've never done a workshop. Wow. I've never, but I mean, I've I've had great reviews. I've won I've won first prize at French festivals and gotten five star reviews. So I'm confident enough in myself as an artist um, 
maybe cocky. I'm, I'm definitely modest. I'm a modest person. I'm very mo- I'm confident in myself as, enough as an artist to where I think um, people are gonna love what they're going to see. I'm sure it's it, it, it's something that obviously if you've written two previous shows based upon the topic that you of which you have a lot of experience and um, you've been obviously on stage and in front of audiences multiple times so that that's half of it right there just being confident in, in front of people um, is there a lot of tech in your show or do you have a lot of light cues or sound cues or are you using graphics or anything um, well so I always I, I always have my dream version you know the like Broadway version in my head sure and then what is most important and in this stage what is most important is um, is the story and I you know it's a it's a sex play, but it's really um, about love, about self-love, about you know many other topics. And I always use one theme um, that kind of propels my interest, and it ends up being a Trojan horse to talk about these other subject matters. So um, I believe if a show is really good, you don't need the lights, you don't need the projectors. They're great; they add you know bells and whistles. Uh-huh. And um, I do have light cues, and I have a set. I have a, a very evocative bed as my as my set. Um, yes, very sexy. It can you know hold you, and um, so I have I have um, some of that. But I'm I'm mostly focused on just getting that the show and the piece and the performance um, as good as possible. I have tech coming up, so we'll see what we can squeeze in. But I know if the show is good, you know, you can, if you listen to a great storyteller, think of Spalding Gray, you know, think of they don't need the, the bells and whistles. And right. I'm not putting myself in that echelon, but... Not yet. But give me a few years. But give, give, you, give you the Frigid Fest. Give me and, the Frigid... By night there you five. Are, right? That's right. <laughs> That's totally right. You and Spalding and Eric Bogosian and Lily Tom. That's Yeah, we're I the same. It. Whoopee. We're all the same. I mean, I'm already thrilled because last year when I was at Frigid, I was um, at Under St. Mark's and I was I love that space. I do too. It's an in- I was able to sell it out and um, I kind of panicked because I, my thing was like, oh, I, I exclusively perform in basements in New York, you know? <laughs> and now I'm above ground and I'm in a theater that's like 99, just under 100. And it's, you know, I'm like, what? Oh my gosh, I'm who am I? I've right. become so huge. <laughs> ah, I'm a superstar. <laughs> and I even... Uh, I relate. Yeah, I emailed the lovely people at Frigid and I was like, can I go back to Under St. Mark's? And they said, we believe in you. You can do it. And I was like, why do you believe in me? <laughs> but I was like, thank you. So, um yeah, and I, I, I do want to say I am donating proceeds of this show to a very particular cause that you will find out um, what it is when you come here. Okay. What, for anyone who comes, yeah. You don't want to talk about it now? No. You want to, okay. It's All a right. surprise. It'll be a surprise. It's a you. wonderful, wonderful organization. That's terrific. Well, yeah. that's, it's good to know. <laughs> it's good to know. If you want to be altruistic to not only the arts, but um, to a, a non, another nonprofit that helps... Okay, fine. Um, yeah, no, anyway. No, 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 no don't tell yeah, us. I, okay, I won't tell you. Don't yes. tell us, okay. Okay, go sure. to the show yes. and find out, and then don't, and then know that your money is going to be going to that cause, right? Right, right. And, 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 and which, that's terrific. Yeah. Good for you that you're yeah, doing yeah. that. That's so nice. Um, what do you want your audiences to take away from Polly Shammering? 
I always have uh, like something really big. Um, so my, my first show was really, uh, it was called Ain't That Rich and it was, um, I'm going to go back and talk about three other shows, but it was, um, I have this deeper thing. It was about like um, globalization. And then my last show, oh, my last show was Ain't That Rich and that was about money. And this one is about love. And the, it's a self, it's a story of self-love and there's, you know, many other elements contained in that, but um, love and friendship and sex, but also breaking out of those norms. I grew up super conservative Christian and, you know, I was raised that like if you um if you had sex with anyone other than the the spouse you know like picture your wedding day all your loved ones are there you're walking down the aisle they remove your your veil and if you if anyone else has been inside of you their name would be on the on your face on their face like you know like a frat boy with like a who passes out with like balls and a dick on their face yeah and so I just knew that mine would be like you know Ryan Cody Tampax like (laughs) these like yeah I learned these really bad things but it was like you can break out of, just because you've been taught one thing, you can break out of the norms. I mean, there's a lot of things that I want you to take away. Um, and it's just, I am so proud of all artists who create anything, but like, especially myself, because hello, uh, heartache is, is real and writing your way through it. And, and it's um, universal. And it's universal. Mm-hmm. And so is love and all of these very human needs. And I do believe that um, art and especially live performance can heal the world. You know, we have more in common than we think. Sure. Wow. That's, I am very, very intrigued. I am. And one of the reasons why I'm intrigued, it's not just because of the subject matter. It's, it's because it's, I feel like the show is I feel like the show is going to say to people think before you judge. And I don't know if I'm if I'm like reading that correctly, but I think this is an element of society uh, that you were involved in that that where people really heap judgment on. Obviously if if you're if the Christian religion is telling you to picture everybody's name on your face, <laughs> oh, that's so vivid. That's crazy. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm going to do my best to get to see the show. Oh, it sounds. Please. I would love to leave you tickets. If anyone who's listening to your show wants some complimentary tickets, I can throw some of those out. If you guys find me on Instagram or buy Twitter. tickets and support her and support me, but also it's the, the proceeds are going to a wonderful nonprofit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, and uh, please give our audience your social media information so they know where to go to get tickets and find out more about the show. And just message me if you want to hang out, if you want to chat, if you want to see some other shows. I'm trying to see as many shows at the festival as possible. Um, my info is very easy. It's Kate K A T E Robards R O B A R D S, and I'm that across all of the social media boards. So I'm that on Twitter. I'm that on Instagram, Facebook. I have a website. Um, I am doing my first email list because that's a thing that artists do. Uh So you can be spammed by me. Hi, hello. (laughs) Can't wait to see ya. Uh, Wow. Well, you are delightful. Delightful. Thank you for the mints. Thank you. You're welcome. And um, break legs. Yes. In the show, and um, I just, I'm I'm, like I said, I'm 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 a little speechless. It's hard to get me speechless. <laughs> I, I'm a little speechless just just at, at everything. And, well, no, no, not at sex. Well, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. I'm twice your age, so I'm a, I'm of that group that's like, you kids get off my. Anyways, you were wonderful, and thank you for being on your program. Is your ticket, Kate Robards from Polly Shamery. Weren't they amazing? Great interviews, and I just know you're going to enjoy their shows. So go see them. 
You can find more information and tickets to all the 2018 Frigid Festival shows at www.horsetrade.info. Once again, I'd like to thank my guests, Tessa Flannery from Tentacles, Manning Jordan from Dooley, and Kate Robards from Polly Shamery. You can find more episodes of your program is your ticket at facebook.com backslash your program is your ticket. I'm on Twitter at, at program ticket. The website is yourprogramisyourticket.com. I'm also on YouTube. Search me out at Your Program Is Your Ticket. And I'm on iTunes and SoundCloud. Rate me, write me a review, subscribe. It all helps with my profile. I appreciate it. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week. And don't forget to give a smaller show some love. There's lots of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people. And Curtain. Your program is your ticket. Your program is your ticket. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.